Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today, our guest is Dr. Kelly Farrell, Preacher as Person. This was recorded on November the 17th, 2020. Powerfully gifted woman of God today. And I'm so excited that um, that God sent her, sent her our way. I'm glad that she said yes. Um, the Reverend Dr. Kelly Farrow. She's known in her own community as a preacher, educator, lecturer, mentor, social justice advocate, political voice, and businesswoman. That is for real. Reverend Dr. Kelly finished her Bachelor of Science degree at Nyack College as a dual major in business and M. Bible, went on to pursue her Master of Business Administration with a concentration in human resource management from the same university. The following year, after completing her MBA, she graduated with a Master's in Divinity, with a concentration in theology from Alliance Theological Seminary. Also, to add to her list of educational accomplishments, the Reverend Dr. Kelly has completed the requirements for her earned PhD in education at uh, uh, Capella University with a concentration in higher education administration. This woman is well-educated. In the fall of 2018, Dr. Farrell created and inaugurated the Circle of Sacred Fire, which is a preaching intensive designed to prepare women of color in ministry in the area of preaching. The Alpha Circle gathered a diverse population of about 20 women to focus on the circles. Three fundamental principles, preaching through the Black church context, preaching with a womanist ethic, and preacher as person leadership development, which is what our subject is today. What you've noticed as a result of the power of our our voices, she is a woman of God, a loving minister, and I tell you, she garners the love of people. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Why don't you welcome our guest, the Reverend Dr. Farrell. Amen. Well, hello there, Dr. Farrell. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good looking these COVID streets at NYC. So someone said, just wave at you. Um, Dr. Sarita, hey, just wave at me. I'm I'm all right. We're kind of for life. That's it. Oh, Lord, that it killed my husband. The child is dead, Jesus. Lord, the <laughs> Can we just not? I'm not. I don't even know what to do with that. When I tell you, um, everybody, this woman of God is so authentic. I've not met one person or I don't meet many women like her. She is very authentic authentic and tells you like it is with with the spirit of love. And that's what I love about you, um, Dr. Farrell. Why don't you tell the people who you are? Look at Jennifer. Jennifer Maxwell, (laughs) people on earth, they look at (laughs) <laughs> Reverend Maxwell, oh. I tell you, she's from the <laughs> Apple Circle as well. She's a woman of God as well. Amen. Um, 
I am. So I was I was sharing in our earlier conversation. I'm from the Bronx. People was like, why is the Bronx the only borough that has the in front of it? Because it's the Bronx. The Bronx. <laughs> so I'm from the, the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. And the Bronx for me, um, growing up in the 80s and early 90s, was or is uh community and and cultivating and 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 having black culture and having friends and jumping double dutch and playing kick the can oh, and and being communal and, and going to church on Sundays, whether you wanted to or not, um, eating your peas, whether you wanted to or not. Um, grandmothers um, still rule. They were the voice of God. I'm still scared oh. of grandmothers. Um, and so, yeah, it, it as I think back on certain things, it cultivated who I see. So people are like, oh, you're relational. I hear that you're friendly. I hear, but that's what we were. That's what we, that's what we had to be. You had a gang of friends. Actually, one of my friends, um, James, he's like, you call my name? Um, me and James have probably been friends who were like 10. You know, that's when, that was a space and time when men and women, boys and girls were friends. Absolutely. You grew up as friends. So you knew how to navigate. So, you know, when I have some, I need some male advice. You know, I have, I have friends to call, but it reminds me, and, and we, and my friends from the Bronx, we're still very frequently close. Um, and so he just called today to see how I was doing. And we, and we do that. And so, but that is what I do. I call people or text people, see how they doing or how you doing or what you need or um, the, 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 the feel of being warm. Right. Yeah. Instead of being yeah. steel manish, you yeah. have to be warm. So yeah, I am I'm those things. Um among some of the things you list, Dr. Chalice, just those are the things I love to do. Um I worked in HR for about 20, 25 years. And then I decided that I wanted to go into I don't know if I decided much of the Holy Ghost inertia in my life. Um to go into education. And I love what I do. I, I love my students. Only thing I think I have Decided I don't really like is grading because it takes back. I need to see it. Anybody, I need to see it. Um, <laughs> outside of that, um, education, empowerment, uh, development, being resourceful. One of my circles has said, You are a city. I was like, Not a whole city, Jesus, um, but a city because you are resourceful and people find shelter. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's real prophetic, girl. I think I'm that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I I do. I, I appreciate that. So, and I like to laugh out loud. Um, I miss having cocktails with my friends, um, you know, going to conferences. And so some some of us have been nostalgic this week and put up pictures from like Hampton or how should they hear? Um, and, you know, those kind of things. And, and I love the sisterhood. I do. Um, I have homegirls and homeboys, but my homegirls, the ministry are the truth. Um, and I, I oh. love Seriously. Yeah, seriously. Wow. You are, I'll, I'll say, not a, you're very engaging. And you, you um, as you said before, you open your heart and you make sure that everyone is comfortable. But not only comfortable, you make sure that they are learning while they're comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of the things that I love about you, Dr. Farrell. That's important. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was saying I see one of my students. So Shantae Knight. Hey, Shantae. Um, <laughs> my students from my social entrepreneur class I taught um, last this past summer, maybe. Um, she is new to being a woman in ministry. And she if she doesn't mind me sharing a little bit, she just wasn't feeling like people had her back, you know, and that and, um, and, and, and wasn't connecting with with fellow women in ministry or connecting with ministry, period. And, you know, I told her about the circle and and, and just 
engaging. Um, and so, so some of my students have come along. So some of my students from, you know, college life has come along and we're here in this ministerial world because I'm communal and I, I like that. All right. You notice I'm um, Ladelphia, uh, Reverend Ladelphia. Oh, yeah, she's a circle sister. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you that when um, when when people when people um, identify in ministry, you pull them along and guide them to that way um, to that way as well. What 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 have you discovered as a result of the power of your voices? Ooh, um, guard it very well. You know, don't don't speak on things that that ain't gonna leave tremors in the water, right? But um, when you drop your voice and people hear it, that it, because it is powerful and it will have an impact and you have to know that, that it is poignant for the season and the time. You know what I mean? So I think right before that we got Joe Biden, touch two people say, thank God. Um, God. Right before we got Joe Biden, my, the hashtag was push the kill button. (laughs) But November push the damn kill button, get this fool out of the white house, please. My my pressure's high, okay. I I've eaten a lot of comfort food, Jesus. Every time I turned the TV, he was saying something dumb or crazy. Oh, and people, button, right? That's what you're gonna vote. Whether you have to pull a lever, or push a button, or a slide a card, I really didn't care. Um, because mm-hmm. I was tired of black people, and I'm still tired of black people. Mm-hmm. Hitting the streets, dying like the like the streets are outcasts. Right, I was tired of you know it. Not it. It just it just streams of various stories that like they didn't even matter for black and brown bodies not to be cared for. I woke up with anxiety after the non-verdict for Breonna Taylor because I a black woman shot in my own apartment here in the NY, and you gonna charge the fool for shooting the apartment next door and not shoot the fool for charge the fool for killing me? Wow. And when that sits on your psyche, you're like, mm. are we really cared for? Like, does mm. anybody care about us? Right. Um, and so I don't, I sometimes challenge y'all. I don't know why people listen to me, but they do. And I, I thank God for that. Um, it, it might be the, the Black Jesus anointing. Um, so if, if they are listening, have something to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't just, don't sit around and gossip about folk. If I don't like you, you you will know if I don't. I'm not really feeling something's happening. Okay, we ain't going out for tea or nothing. Jennifer, no, we we ain't gonna get no drinks or nothing, mm-hmm. right? But I'm not gonna dog you either. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, we're not gonna have no sidebar conversation about the sidebar conversation. Mm-hmm. That I, wow, we don't do that from the Bronx, mm-hmm. right? I'm not gonna do all that stuff. I'm gonna keep it as 100 as I can, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna be polite and I'm gonna be friendly and I'm gonna be kind. Um, but we're going to have some thicker boundaries than me and some other folk, because I still believe you can be civil. I still I grew up in a household that even if you didn't like the chores you were doing, you still had to do them. Come on now. You could not do the chores because you didn't like them. Mm-hmm. You had to do the chores and you had to do the chores, whichever ones they were, mm-hmm. which if it translates well, it tra- just because you don't like somebody, I mean, you have to mistreat them. You don't do stuff because you don't like or dislike something. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. do it because that's what's required. Right. And if it's required to love thy neighbor right. as thyself, right. then that's what's required. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little while mm-hmm. yet to get us into a spirit of ethics and integrity and stuff. But if you're growing up in Jesus, then that's what's Come required. On. And so I, I, I try. You know, I've had my days I want to cuss. I have, you know, or cuss folk out, right? Um, but you just can't. 
you you just can't so you have a you you get a you get a community of folk who will let you vent mm. um, the a community of folk that are mature mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll let you vent in spaces and time and understand that's that's a snapshot of who you are mm-hmm. let mm-hmm. you release that because you need a level of release and then you know release you okay now you got to get yourself up and go back out there and serve mm-hmm. you know you can't be in right. there people need you so you know, the power of our voices, and that's our, the conference, um, Rise uses that as a title for conference with Dr. Rhodes. We have power in our preaching voice. We have power in our um, our educational voices. We have multiple voices and their power in them. So mm-hmm. if you want to say something, at least have something to say. Yeah. Right. My God, today, um, Reverend Maxwell says, thicker boundaries. We don't have to fall out. Just because we disagree. No. Right. Like, when did that start? When did it start? Oh, well, you know, Dr. Street, I don't like what you said, so we're not friends no more. We didn't, I don't, where we do that at? Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand that anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I came out with a pink, look, I had a green double dutch robe, and, you know, Kiki had a white one. We were mm-hmm. and what we were going to use. You know, we would find some commonality in how to work it out. It wasn't right. that because we disagreed about using which color rope, we weren't going to be friends no more. And right. there, were, there were wired ropes and there were tied ropes. There were, you know, there were different things. You So, but what, why is everybody's voice? I'm not saying if you are racially disrespectful, inappropriate or classism, things like that. I'm not talking about, because those are have to be specific incidents and circumstances, right? But mm-hmm. when did it get to just because I don't like what you said, just because we disagree? We, I have to cancel you out of my life. I have to cancel your show. I have to cancel this because if they're not opposing opinions, sometime, how do you develop your mind Absolutely. to figure out who you are and what side you didn't chose? That just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't want, I don't, I don't need an echo chamber. Look, if y'all see me say something on Facebook that look a little crazy, tap your girl, like, sis, are you all right? Reverend Brenda Sreeta, all y'all say, Cal, what's happening? Because my friend's gonna be Cal. Are you okay? You know, you need to sit down for a minute. Dr. Simmons will call you in a minute, text you something. You need a vacation because, yes, mom. My God. <laughs> Fine. But community does that for you so you don't go too far out. Wow. Yeah, there needs to be opposing views sometime. You know what I mean? Wow. I don't, I'm not Republican. I certainly understand Republican values. I don't agree with Republican policy. Yeah. But that means I can't have a Republican friend. That's right. To me, you know what I'm saying? So that's where now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat, but my grandmama carry a gun. So she must be a Republican. No, she's a Democrat with a gun because she believes in the Second Amendment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there can be variations. It's the categories that keep us separated. I love it. It's the categories. But what happened about the body of Christ? What happened about the community and the priesthood of believers? What happened to that? Where we, we all on Team Calvary. Mm. So since we all play for the same team, we all play together in different ways. We could be an arm, you could be a, you could be the leg. What the Bible said, but we had different parts. We were still part of the same team. Like what happened to that? Is my question. Mm. My God, Connie Jackson says cancel culture. Mm. My God, today. Yeah, I'm tired of that. I'm just, I'm just. You don't learn in environments where it's just your voice is the supreme. That's what's wrong with the the current resident White House, and he won't get out. And dude, you they gonna come get you in January. You gonna have they gonna pull you by. Now I want to see that. You know, I want to see that, right? You know, I want to be the fire on the wall of the White House when they come and drag that man out of there. Woo! 
that's gonna bless me. But you gotta and an like you can't you gotta that. concede. Yeah, in an orange jumpsuit, yes. <laughs> yes, an orange jumpsuit to New York, to New York. No, really, yeah, because he he gave a residency and he living he live in Florida now. Don't know, don't nail New Yorker want him back here. We good <laughs> going back down there to Florida with them folks. We they governor or something. We keeping come over here. Y'all go down there, take him down there, please. Thank you and good night. So yeah, what happened? What, you, know, <laughs> you know, y'all. Let's not talk about Trump. Let's not do that because my brother Riyadh with that foolishness. You are a breath of fresh air. <laughs> you are a breath of fresh air. And talk to too. Y'all used to talk to. We love it. It is. Uh, it's amazing when um, when we talk about our voices, though we. It seems as if we we begin to silence each other's voice because we think that we are we have a supreme voice. That's ego. Mm-hmm. Um, we we become so narcissistic that everything I say is is correct. Right, right, right. And we're not allowing others to do the same. Yeah. And the one thing I hear you say is that we have to have community. We do. We so do. in having a community, um, we're pulling each other's coattails, right? Yeah. So what, what are the tangible results as women of God uh, speak out as, and use as, you, as they use their voices? What are the tangible things? When we, when we hold in community, when, like, when we hold mm-hmm. in a circle, I, I hold what we call um, safe, sacred space. Mm-hmm. It's safe because you don't probably get a, another chance anywhere else to 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 do what we're doing, right? Or you might not feel comfortable enough to, um, because of criticism and, and societal things, right? Sacred because our voices are sacred, but they are very really heard. People ask you how you're doing, but they really don't want to know how you're doing, mm-hmm. right? They don't. It's it's formality. It's 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 politeness. Um, but your voice is sacred, and 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 black women overall. Black people overall don't have opportunity to be validated by your own community because we are seen through white lenses. You can't define sexuality for yourself. You can't define preaching for yourself. You can't define yourself unless it's been through the avenue of a white lens. So we have, you know, spaces like like that. And, and more and more, the spaces have to be curated so that you can have that space so you can develop and and find you know your your self-worth and self-identity and self-esteem so you can be fully developed and you can go out and do what you're called to do without worrying about what people think not even worry about so much what you think um feeling secure enough to that if you have something to say it's valid and it adds to the collective and and making sure that um, that you also have community that supports you. So I, I can't do any of this without community. You know what I mean? Um, whether it is now circle community, whether it's my long-standing friends from the Bronx, whether it's my circle sisters, um, whomever, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I put on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, we need to stop being transactional and start being relational okay. because the body of Christ is communal. Yeah. Um, and we need to do that because when we do that, the scripture is clear that we grow up in unity in the bond of peace and we create and we, we, we give place for people's gifts and we create opportunities for creativity and folk feel, you know, whole and holistic. And they feel like, even if I do make a mistake, they're not going to just put me out without restoring me back in gentleness if I mess up. 
right? And so then we get into talking about gentleness and kindness and, and all the fruit of the spirit and how those things come into play and how they help develop us as individuals. So when you when you when you, when we show up in the world, you see something grounded and positive and 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 yes, flawed, <laughs> perfectly imperfect. Um, but you also feel like I matter. And I have value. And so when you create those spaces, when you give space for that, when you hold space for that, it creates people who are growing. Mm. Right. And growing in imperfection. So um, Jennifer had recommended some books to me um, by Dr. Brene Brown. And one of them is The Gift of Imperfection um, that I'm reading. And the other is the other one I, I just listened to the audible book on was The Power of Vulnerability. And Dr. Brene talks about vulnerability being a superpower. And I said that with a friend of mine um, because a lot of wonderful things like creativity and love and generosity and kindness, the fruit of the spirit is connected to vulnerability. And when you're not vulnerable, you come off, I'll add this to my own vernacular, you come up like the tin man. Child, you need some oil. Oh, and you sharp and you bitter and, and you not nice to people. And then don't do all them things and be black. Don't do that. Right. Because, you know, they're judging us harshly. Right. And so all those things and they don't have to be there if you do your work, if you do your emotional work, if you if you heal your wounds, if you, you know, if you sit on somebody's couch, therapist or not, you know, um, therapy could be your girlfriend's therapy could be somebody you pay. Right. Or you could sit down. So the next eight weeks, y'all probably my last assignment for the year, sit down for the next eight weeks, have sabbatical and 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 do some hard work with black Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So you can serve. So when people encounter you, you're not like with the face. Like, why your face do that? Why your, <laughs> why your face? Why you have the face? Um, yeah, no. And I'm just introducing myself. Hey, Chalice, I'm Reverend Kelly, whatever you like with the face. Girl, I'm not coming to get your spot. <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, but never mind then. Like, never mind. Let me get my little book talk over here. Oh, you are giving me life right now. Chalice, that's actually how I met Jennifer Watley. We were at a conference and I mean, I, I knew Jen before that, right? But on Facebook and we were at Dr. Hill's conference mm-hmm. and all these faces, I enter a room and I get to all these faces, but I saw Jennifer and I saw her face and she was smiling, right? And I knew Jen from social media, whatever, and that kind of thing. So I went over, I said, you know, I'm gonna have lunch with you. And we sat down and had lunch and then some more lunch and then we missed some sessions and then we had some dinner and now she's stuck with me for the rest of her life. <laughs> That's it. I'm not, yes. I'm not leaving. I'm not going. Um, you know what I'm saying? But that's her, her warmth and her, you know, her, her, just her presence was inviting and, and people, people need that. Jen's good people though. Jen is good people. Yeah, she's good people though. She is. Yeah. Um, we talked about, um, preacher as a person, and you just blew me away with what you what you shared. Uh, talk to us about what what this preacher as a person really is. Um, preacher as person for me is marrying the preacher and the person in the same person, not having a face over here that's clergy and a face over here that's everything else. You have to find a space. Where And so we do this in a circle because that's our bubble. You have to find a space that lets you marry the two so they become authentically you. So what do you like about serving, preaching, doing, being? 
and what do you like or not like about yourself? And how do we blend those two things together? So the same person that Chalice sees, the same person that Reverend Brenda sees, is the same person that Crystal and Ladelphia see. Because all the people that encounter me, my students, they tell you the same thing. <laughs> they, you, would get the same, you would get the same thing across the board, right? But yeah. that's good. Because consistency builds good reputation, yeah. right? So when you are consistent, you are building a good reputation, um, among other things. So it allows you to to figure out who you are and becoming your authentic self, your authentic self, your, not Dr. Gina's, not Bishop Vash, your authentic self. What does your preacher voice sound like? What is your womanist lens? What are your favorite colors? What do you like to do? And have that show up in ways when you show up that you embrace first so you're not overly concerned if don't nobody else embrace it you're not overly concerned if don't nobody else get it i could have I, I when i first started the circle i, I shared it with um dr simmons and of course dr simmons got it but i shared it with some other people too that didn't get it but i'm still doing it because i i understand that's what god has called me to do right so when you when you understand who you are as a person, although you preach, <laughs> inclusive of you preaching, think about it like you preach, you cook, you teach, you lead, you sow, you do all of those things. But here I understand society has told black women and black people, you can only be one thing at a time. So then you have chopped yourself up. And so you say, like, when I go to, because I serve at um, Double Love Experience Church with Pastor Gabby, Pastor Andrew, and Common Avenue Baptist Church here in the city, right? So people think when you are in church, you have to be, do a certain thing away because clergy don't do that. Clergy don't wear red lipstick. Clergy don't wear pants. Clergy don't, well, hell, I'm tired. Like y'all doing too much in here, you know? And I, I first got Dr. Simmons as a mentor because people were trying to tear me apart as preacher, as person. Cause like, you can't wear red lipstick. You don't know how much controversy some, some cornrows and caused to preach in some cornrow child by this is hell y'all what's wrong. You know what I'm saying? So now it's like, Oh, I can't be black. Cause I can't wear cornrows and preach y'all lying to me. No, y'all can just keep the whole preacher thing and I'm gonna keep my cornrows. No, it is a marrying of all the things that you like to do, you know what I mean? And all the things that you are and that being okay. But I've shared and, and me and some of my friends have talked about, you have to have people who can tell you it's okay too. You have to, something clicks when you audibly hear, girl, that's all right. Like, that's fine if you want to do it like that. Like, you don't have to do you know, you don't have to be, you can, you can, you can dance and paint and sing and preach. You sure can. Yeah, you can. Um, and so when we're in that space, we're talking about all these things. Um, we had, well, this coming Friday, we'll have womanism, the second part, and we have womanism, um, redefining, reimagining womanism with Dr. Jen, um, our last session and we are looking at womanism through reimagined through the eyes of hip-hop because we came up in hip-hop when mc light and 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 queen latifah and them ruled the world and the imagery and the conversation was strong and empowering and that kind of stuff and what does it look like to look at hip-hop through those lenses and how we find our voices in those lenses so i told some of the ladies at the circle in the circle i said well my cadence and preaching sounds much like biggie smalls because that is how Tupac, that's what you heard coming up and you learning how to rhyme, you mimicking the rhymes and all this other kind of stuff here. You even get the, you even get the head going. You can feel it in your spirit, you know, all that stuff. Um, 
it comes out in your preaching because that's who you are. You know, you hung out with your friends and y'all was like, did you get to do, you know, Biggie Smalls, I guess, CD or cassette tape. I don't want to date myself too fast, you know, but hey. Um, and when, you know, Dougie Fresh was out and all that kind of stuff. So inevitably it, it plays into, right, it plays into my cadence or when I preach, into my personality when I preach, because it's authentically a part of who I am already. It's, 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 it's Black culture from the 80s, right? Um, and so in those respects, some people will say, well, you can't do that. That's not sophisticated enough. Or um, people are not going to identify with that. And so we had listened to a sermon by Dr. Ebony um, that was called Insecure. And I like Dr. Ebony, Ebony Marshall Terman. I like Dr. Ebony because Ebony as black motifs and hip hop. So you can get Biggie Small, Sugar Hill Gang, Cool Moldy, and, um, you know, I, uh, I forgot the author's name just that quickly. Um, you get all of them in one shot. Right. You you can get Kelly Brown Douglas and you can get Angela Davis. So I typically tell people I am Martin Luther King. I am Malcolm X. I am Angela Davis and I am Shirley Chisholm. Right. You can get all those things in me in preaching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so it is. It's, it's just it should be vast. It should be all those things. But you start off with, you know, who am I? Um, what do I like? What do I not like? You know, identifying those things, it being okay, someone affirming and confirming and supporting you that the multiple things that you like, the multiple giftings that you have, however you use them, it's, it all works together. So I'm a social entrepreneur. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. You know, I love teaching business. That's who I am. And that, and that's okay. I, it's great, actually. You just you just said something. Bible and yeah, yeah, business. Yeah. But we, we separate we the two. If there is a, a business side of the church, but we fail to realize that there is a business side of yeah. the church. Talk to us a little bit about business and Bible. <laughs> um, so listen, no one's going to go to church, not here in the NY. No one wants to go to church if it ain't no air conditioner or the lights is out. We're not going to have good worship. So somebody has to pay the bills in there, right? Um, so it, right before I was licensed to ministry, I was a trustee for the Common Number Baptist Church. And so certainly I knew the back end from organizational leadership s- stuff, um, right, and style. So if you are a 501c3, which most churches are, then there are some legal aspects you have to follow, some federal laws you have to follow, some, some you know, some some ordinances, excuse me, some compliance things you have to know and follow. And that builds into congruently having effective worship on the front end. So the steps have to make sure you have to make sure the steps. So convent is a historical landmark because it's the last church that Martin Luther King preached at before he was shot and killed. So we got landmark status because of that. And so landmarks has a lot of requirements for you to make sure the building always looks up to what their expectations are. The steps mm-hmm. have to be polished or concrete has to make sure there is anything broken, but that also works into making sure that doesn't happen. So because you can't have anybody fall and slide down the steps when so you have to pay out of some insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about that. If, if, if you have a lot of risk you have to manage in your church, then how are you going to have effective worship? Because because the money is all coming from the same place. So you, the money that you get in the church is going to have to pay those insurance policy bills as well as, you know, to keep the organ clean. So a sound will come out and not just dust. Yeah. Right. So we, we get into church and we forget how much it takes 
people don't want to see cracked and you know empty non-paint on the wall. You know, they want they don't want one of the light bulbs out and it's four. That don't look right. That don't look right. Right. And so <laughs> and they're gonna talk about you. Um, because you know it. And so mm-hmm. all those things play together um for you know for me for for worship and worship to have for the people who come to church to have a good worship engagement and, and experience without the distraction of all the the minutia that runs in the background um and that they can have a god experience without being high if that makes mm-hmm. sense so that is going to affect some time it shouldn't but it does affect some time how people, you know, engage in worship in the sanctuary building itself. I'm not talking about, don't nobody text me about no nothing else. I'm talking about in the sanctuary building itself, right, when those kind of things happen. The other side of it is that, um, you know, in the scripture it says there are all diverse types of gifts. And one of them is the gift of administration. And administration is to make sure the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the sanctuary, all of it runs with some sort of godly order. Now, we know that doesn't really happen because people are imperfect and it kind of gets messed up sometimes. But from the business perspective and how it facilitates good Bible, how it facilitates good worship, how it facilitates good Bible study Mm. happens in those spaces. So just because you, let's say, for example, you can preach well, but you don't have good administration, then you should find someone who's gifted in keeping things running. Right. Because that that gift is useful too. you. You might not be that hospitable, but you should find someone who knows how to identify hospitable people and develop teams or develop ministries and all those things come out of that that level of gifting. And so for me, that is that is a connective parallel. Now, when I was in undergrad, I didn't see any of that. I just took those two majors because that's what God said. Take I wasn't, you know, in ministry yet. And I I wasn't a trustee or anything like that. Um, That's what the Holy Ghost said. Do. So that's what I did. And so later on, it came. And so then I, I think I shared with you, Chalice, that and out of that came the circle. So the circles of 501c3, right? It, it, it accepts um, donations, Giving Tuesday. Come on, talk to me about it. To be able to come and participate because there is a cost associated with it because it is a graduate style preaching class. But on the, on the front end, it is the education experience and open heartedness and all the things that women need. And on the back end, just like worship, it is a 501c3. It is it is a nonprofit so that it is an organization that meets the needs. So the difference between social entrepreneurship and regular entrepreneurs is that you develop something that meets the needs of humankind and society. So humankind, overall, societal needs, you know, in individual areas. And so and then what is it specific to? It's specific to black women or women of color. It's specific to because we don't have enough of that. Right. It's specific to black church and black preaching, because as I understand it from my uncles and mama, you know, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Brad, you know, Dr. Simmons, it can't be just them left to, to hold the mantle of teaching us about black church history or being or understanding black church. It has to be being passed on. And so Dr. Simmons has cultivated that in my heart because I love black church and I love black preaching. Um, and so and I get excited about teaching it. Um, and so it inspires me to do those things, too. So all of that in the realm of business and Bible is, is under that. And that's just some of it. That's just some of it. I think that's I think that's awesome. But you talked about um, womanist theology because you are a womanist scholar. Um, but womanist scholarship is popular with theologically educa- educated black women using our voices. Right. How do you suggest we reach all black women? 
especially those in the pews? Um, you know, I had a conversation. So I have friends who range from the ages of, you know, maybe around my age to like 70, 80 years old. Right. And I, I like the gamut of it because of the generational impact. And a friend of mine had just said that. Well, Kelly, how do we use that? You know, how do we use women's theology to reach women in pews? You know, it's, it's, it's don't leave it as a conversation amongst just women preachers. Um, and I said, well, then we need to have more Bible study about it, more casual conversation about it. I, it I'm going to use Reverend Jen's terminology that being a woman is, has to come into wholehearted living. It has to be some a part of who you are. So I was a womanist before I really knew what womanist or womanism terms were because I grew up with my grandmother. My, my mother's mother um, was a union delegate. So she always came home with a level of advocacy in her voice. She always came home fighting for somebody at the job because that's what union delegates do. You make sure people don't get mistreated, that they you know have what they need to do their jobs. And so social justice was already in my home. Right. And so I would just hear her coming home, washing dishes, saying how she got so and so for trying to, you know, write up so and so. And I'm like, well, well, get him, grandma, get him. You know what I mean? And so that (laughs) that then becomes how I perceive how to protect someone. So womanism is level of freedom and a level of protection. So then you you show up. As a womanist, remember I said, not mean though, right? And not because don't be the tin man. That's what we just want to tin man. Because we certainly experience, you know, some some statement of where womanism has been the myth of womanism that you know it's a lesbian theology that all of them are mean. All of that that stuff to distract you from really what it is and it's freedom and liberation for Black women and men and children, right? It's communal within itself. It's not it's not just us and them. Um, but if you if you if you apply it as a, a woman preacher, then how you develop Bible study, you know, how you have conversation, how you show up as an individual, because, look, you can't say you fight for women's ethical justice and narrative and Bible and then treat the women in your church like trash. Like that's just not going to work. Can't do that. Right. So you, if you're going to if you're going to you're going to needle somebody about preaching Rahab right. <laughs> Right, then you got to treat Sister Sandra right, and you can't get on Sister Sandra's back because she didn't watch the communion cups like you wanted to, and then you know, and say, Call Rahab a hoe. None of it works, throw it all out and start again, right? So it, it, it comes, womanism embodies the fruit of the spirit be kind, be gentle, be loving, and I don't want to make it seem like it's perfect. To be because you can do it because you can't you you do it in the empowerment of the Holy Ghost if you got the Holy Ghost but you because Bishop Carletta blessed my soul with speaking in tongues three days listen you have and I'm not saying the to have the Holy Ghost don't text me on that either I'm not saying you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Ghost I know the difference I'm just saying that in order to do the things that we find difficult to do in our own flesh and our own self you need the Holy Ghost to do that because if not I'd be cussing every day Woo! every day. I because of every day. Help the people today, sister. Help the people today. <laughs> the Holy Ghost. I'd be cussing every day, right? Or cussing folk out every day. And you cannot. So if you're going to be a womanist, if you're going to embody womanist theology, your voice should be one of empowerment. It should be one of kindness. It should be one of promoting the advocating wholeness and freedom. Look, my womanist lenses are um, ethics, justice, Black church and sexuality. One of the things I deeply, deeply hate, Anthony and my family on this, is that 
women and men feel oppressed sexually because we talk about not having sex until the day we die. Don't have sex, you get married. Don't have sex. And then they go and get married and don't know what to do because ain't nobody talked about it. Nobody has rightly developed how to have good sex. And so then we cover yourself up and put doilies on your head and wear lap. And what the hell a lap cloth got to do with having sex at all? If Deacon so-and-so can't control his fool self, then I don't know, put him out. But I don't want to wear an ankle burner skirt because he can't control his loins. Y'all better teach somebody about that and stop putting more on black women's backs in the form of sexuality and what we have on and stop problematizing our bodies, Jesus, because a man can't control himself. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have hips. I have an ass. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not, but I'm just saying. And so stop problematizing my body, my hips, my ass, my color, my sway, my swag. Stop problematizing me because you have an issue about that surrounds sex or sexuality or oppression that we have not talked about as black church community. But then you want to cast me away and say, don't have sex before marriage. And but then when I get pregnant, you want to sit me down from the choir. But the dude I got pregnant by who's playing the drums, he still gets to keep his job and play the drums. But you want to go ahead and put me out. That is not womanist theology. That is not holistic living. It is not. Help some people today. Conversation about it. Can we have, can we come together as men and women in God? And talk about sex in a healthy, holistic way. So as we are telling our young people or our adults or whatever, save yourself into marriage. They know what they're saving themselves unto. And they having healthy sex lives. Because the marriage bed is undefiled, right? So so that they, they understand what loving looks like. Because listen, love and lovemaking is forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. It's not just for procreation. God didn't do it just for that. It is for folks to be able to say, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to offend you, but we don't have those conversations. Kelly Brown Douglas does. Bless God for, she's one of my favorite scholars. Dr. Douglas will talk about black church and black sexuality, right? And so that became my my angst. I was like, oh, they get it. Like, because when I was in youth ministry as a youth leader, I didn't tell my kids not just to have sex. I told them why they shouldn't have sex, what's the benefit of it. But look, if you do, now let me tell you something here. Because I grew up with condoms were a PSA to keep you from getting HIV. It wasn't promotion of sex. It was to keep you safe in case you did have sex. I understand a generation that says it promotes sex, but it doesn't. And we have to relook at what Romans 1 say. We have to retrain our mind to look at things differently. Right. And so those are some of my womanist lenses. So just as I almost lost it, um, because <laughs> y'all gotta bring me back now. When because black sexuality, because I understand I feel it, y'all. I feel the oppression of our people under the under the umbrella of sex. And I'm God is not happy with that, just like God is not happy with you gossiping and cutting people down. So we have this view of God like God only cares about one thing. God, the scripture is clear that God cares about everything you care about. And so if I'm going to live holistically, if I'm going to live healed, if I'm going to live free, God is clear that that's what God wants for you in all those areas, mentally, physically, sexually, emotionally, all those areas. What, what about men and women who are molested? What about men and women who have hard time connecting in vulnerable spaces? 
How do we minister to them? We just keep telling them to pray about it, sis? That's what we do? That ain't helping them. My God. So I'm sorry, y'all. No. Sorry. Oh, you are in the house, preacher. You are in the house. And this is exactly what is needed. Um, and that's why I, when I introduce you, your authentic self, you're always who you are. And I love it. Tanya Middleton talks. She's saying, I hate to be the lone voice. But we as black brown folk are not united like the other non-colored cultures. That's true. I have been asking for years, why is this happening? Why do we not have this, this unity in our community? Mm-hmm. Um, from the I'll start with a, a business perspective. So here in New York, down in Chinatown, um, Asian culture is so united that even if it's a Chase Bank down in Chinatown, there are Asian people that work in it. Mm-hmm. The money flows in Chinatown or Little Italy through Chinatown, Little Italy only. They support each other. They have what we call susus. They they so a, a family puts up five thousand, another family put up five thousand. So each family that want to buy a store gets a store, and they help each other out communally. That and I, I use Asian culture. I wish Laura Heifel was on here too, but I use Asian culture because Asian culture, even though they have experienced just as much oppression and racism as black people, they didn't let it tear them apart. I haven't done the work. I'm gonna find out maybe, maybe Laura has. If anyone has done the work on how or why that Asian culture has able been to keep it together and black culture has not, because they went through, you know, um, slavery and racism, and there's still federal laws in the books to keep. Chinese people oppress. The other part of it is I think Asian and Native Americans, they don't want no part of America because of the fake democracy that we have, right? So you never hear about any of the politicians going to Native Americans to cast and get their vote. They's like, y'all done stole our land. We done with y'all. Y'all done had the nerve to put us over here on our land. We done with y'all. And that usually is it. And their their economy stays within their community because someone has violated. The, so there are op, there are observations where in Asian culture and Native American culture, you violate our community, we shut you out to keep our community safe. So Malcolm X tried to say that in the 60s, that black people need our own, that we should have done our own thing, whatever, because then infiltration of white culture wouldn't have tore us apart. Malcolm might've been right. My, segregation might not have worked as well you know, um, as we thought it could have, because black people are still, our capital buying power as a collective is zero to nil. We, we, we struggle to have voice in places we, we could certainly have voice in. And maybe so Malcolm and Martin's angst with each other, even though they were friends, was that Malcolm felt like Martin wanted the acceptance of white people. And Malcolm was like, we don't need the acceptance of white people. We might can you know, use them or have a relationship with them for, but we don't need the acceptance of. Martin tried to say, I, we don't need their acceptance, but we should be treated as equals. Yeah, but look at them over there. They ain't even, they're not worried about equality and they still have economic buying power because I don't know how you can put a business in Chinatown, but stipulate only Asians work there because I don't have a hunting history. There's a chase on 25th Street. There's every kind of diversity. And that's not a problem per se. I'm just using it as a snapshot of saying when you control your economic growth and narrative, the power that you have, the voice that it creates in other areas. So I, again, I think that might be a, a, a research thing to do, but I know that specifically the Black family 
black culture has been worn down and broken down because of slavery and white narratives and white lenses. So for example, excuse me, um, when WAP came out, so Cardi B and Meg The Stallion. Now let me just say, girl, if I can put if I can bust into a full split in a tiger suit, I would. Y'all lying to me. Meg was dope. That's I that's all if I could get my legs to be in a full split with a tiger suit on, a white one. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say about that. All right. So I had a conversation with a young lady on Facebook who was like, you know, it's nothing that she can learn from Meg and, and Cardi in regard to um, sexuality and things like that. And I was like, of course you can, because she was like, no, they nasty. Wait. Because this language has been assigned to black women, black culture, right? That is used and defines us by white lenses. And I said, I won't say they're nasty. I'm, I would say that they're defining black sexuality for themselves, how they see it. And that's not a problem. If you don't like it, that's a preference. That's not a problem. That's where we get the cancel culture from. Oh, no, they hoes. They this, they that. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because you ask Tamara Lomax or you ask Dr. Ebony or you ask someone who studied black bodies and how white lens have contorted black bodies to be negative for the usefulness of reselling us. Then you will understand what I'm saying. So I had a colleague post on Facebook and said, if some of y'all listened to Megan Cardi or had some WAP, we would have less marital counseling. I said, well, touch two people. Somebody put the offering plate out. Because that's the that's part of the truth of the matter. Listen, listen. It's a, it's a little bit, right? If we come back to the particular of having whiteness define blackness, then we can understand that that has always been a problem. And we have to have, so this is why we have to push in our voices to have more black scholars, more black authors that own magazines, more black CEOs, more because we need the, the culture to continue to, to permeate so we can define it for ourselves. And not that um, the male body is the, the black reproductive buck for creating new slave kids and that the the black woman slave is the tempter. She because he gonna tell his white wife she seduced me. And that narrative sticks and now she's a seductress. So yeah. then that automatically translates into new narrative that Megan Cardi is holds. No they not. No they not. And if you have some kids tell that, kids will say that, that you know, Cardi is a new Mary Magdalene. And we know Mar Mary's story. So then you can't get up in a pulpit because I've heard it happen. And dog a Beyonce or Cardi or whatever, but still talking about you preaching Bible because you lost them there. Ain't nobody listening to your message because now you just sound critical and harsh. You can have a preference, but you ain't got the dog black bodies in the process. So, but that again, that comes to white narrative, slave narrative, problematized body tropes, all those things. And so we have just had a hard time overcoming that, but we've had a lot to do with it. We, I mean, we've had a lot to not to do with it. We've had a lot dealt with it. Like it's been a lot dealt upon us. Yeah. I want to, I want to leave you some space to talk about sacred fire, but I want to deal with this question. Um, um, Rafae Smith, she says, the black church has a double standard for sin. She's like, what? And, <laughs> <laughs> and she's telling you that it was well said, but I am so sick and tired of the double standards that we have in our church. Yeah. 
Um, it just doesn't make sense. But I do want to um, give you some space to talk about um, the Circle of Sacred Fire. So share with us, the, the women, um, about the Circle of Sacred Fire. Uh, and, and, Dr., and Dr. Farrah, as you do, uh, we only have about three and a okay. half, four minutes left. Um, Circle of Sacred Fire Go ahead. is a graduate style preaching class. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have gone to seminary or had any kind of, you know, Bible interaction as far as Bible college and things like that, which you, which you might not feel that you have when you come to the circle and we call it the circle because circle sacred fire is a lot to say in one tongue um, that you can get all of that. Right. So we cover um, preaching while black or preaching through the black church context. Uh, we cover preaching with a womanist ethic or lens and what that, and what that means is how do we add womanist theology? If it's our authentic selves, to our, our sermons and our messages and who we are authentically and leadership as, you know, person development, which is what we kind of talked about in the conversation. And those are the three, those are the three handles that we kind of rest upon um, in the fall. And in the spring, we're having six week courses that are every other Friday, just so it's um, manageable. We have a virtual course room where we interact during the week that, that we don't have class in our virtual course room. If you want, you can go the route of getting a, um, a certificate that says you've completed X amount of seat hours for a graduate preaching class. Or if you don't, and, and that comes with like assignments and some other things. And if not, if you want a little less rigorous tone to it, you can participate in class without the assignments. But it is designed to get you ready for whatever the next level is. If the next level, level is going to seminary, then great. If the next level is, you know, uh, applying for executive minister or chaplain or creating your own space in ministry, then great. Cause we talk about that too. So the circle in itself, um, the two things we also have is creating your own space. We talk about business and Bible and resources for ladies and, and, um, and circle chat and circle chat is typically what a woman is scholar theologian, um, someone who embodies womanism. Um, this semester for us, it was Reverend Jen. Last semester for us, it was Dr. Gina Stewart. Um, semester for that, it was Dr. Will Gaffney. And we have the conversation so we can flesh it out and unpack it. And so we, you know, I just enjoy the work. I enjoy, we, we take about 20, 25 women at a time so that it's collapsed into a, a, a safe, intimate space. Um, so we don't have like 50 women at a time. It's about 20, 25 um, at a time. Um, we've had circles as small as five and as big as 25. Chalice, I can't hear you. Sorry, love. How can women join it? Huh? How can we join it? How can you tell the viewers how they can oh, join sure. it? Oh, sure. So um, we have a Facebook page um, and our email address is registration at circleofsacredfire.org. And you can email us at registration and we'll send you the link. Um, but the links are always posted on Facebook, our Instagram, and you can also email us and we'll send you the registration link that way. And we send you the link and you sign up. Um, we have flexible ways of pay with Zelle and or Cash App. Uh, we have flexible payment. So it doesn't require you to pay everything up front. You can pay over time. Actually, what, however you need to pay, because we understand COVID, too, and loss of job and things like that. So we've been a, a lot more amenable and, um, and flexible than we, when we typically can be because of COVID. We don't want women not to come because they can't pay. Come. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you, Jennifer, for putting it in the, um, in the chat. Um, 
And Jennifer is um, a part of Cairo Circle, which is our board. Um, so Cairo Circle is these awesome seven set of ladies who keep us run, rolling and burning. And if, if you feel like we got a little bit of swag, if you like our t-shirts, ow, then we have some, <laughs> we have some women and they are called Cairo Circle and that is the board members of Circle Sacred Fire. This has been absolutely wonderful. All right. See you next week. <laughs>